what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange, a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, how do you make money on social media? We'll share an article about a young lady in Charlotte who uses Instagram to make some big bucks, and we'll find out if my co-host Gary knows what Instagram is. Our main topic today, legal issues for your startup. Our guest is Michael Boyer, who is both a lawyer and the owner of a startup firm, Carolina Craft Legal. And finally, we'll wind up with uh, our regular feature, Small Business of the Month, Small Businesses That You Should Be Checking Out. Hello, my name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host and director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how's it going today? It's going great, Jeff. And I know you, you're excited because so you talked about putting Carolina into the Catawba because of your Tar Heels. Well, as, as some of you out there know, yes, I am a Carolina Tar Heels fan, and we are in the midst of the NCAA tournament, and the Tar Heels have advanced to the Final Four. So you might be listening to this when we are champions, or you might be listening to this when Carolina is not champions, and I'd, I'd, I'd be a, a sad podcast you, co-host. It would be a then. sad podcast, but I think you could be very uh, pleased right now. They're playing great, and I think that they're going to do very well next weekend, or this weekend. Well, and, and you know, I, I don't want to jinx us, but I sort of like the way the other brackets broke because I really didn't want to play Virginia again. They're a very tough team. I understand. Team, so. That's a surprise that they uh, – they lost that lead in the last ten minutes. I know, and, and I say that I you know we, we respect Syracuse. You know, yes, uh, yeah, we I don't. Understand. But but anyway, but anyway, let's we, we talk. <laughs> we move we, on. We're going to talk about business, and and I also I, I want to go ahead and introduce our guest today, who is Michael Boyer. Michael, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you? Very good, very good. And Michael started his own business called Carolina Craft Legal. He's in Greensboro, and and Michael, when did you crank up your business? So officially incorporated in November, of course we. Uh, spent a great deal of time blueprinting while still in law school, uh, but officially kind of went live in November and then started the marketing and advertising in January, took the website up and really started trying to hit the pavement. Oh, cool. Well, we're, we appreciate you joining us uh, today Absolutely. on The Entrepreneur. really appreciate you having me. And where'd you go to law school? So Charlotte School of Law, just down Charlotte. the road. Okay, great. And you're an NC State grad? I am. So talking about UNC. And well, we have, I went to Wake Forest. To Wake Forest so we have three bit. of the big four. <laughs> and it's appropriate that we don't have the other one. <laughs> Agreed. So anyway, uh, an article that uh, that I noticed that I, that I sent to Gary and just shared uh, with Michael was uh, something that I saw in the Charlotte Observer newspaper on March 20th, a couple weeks ago, by a, a writer named Christina Bowling, and she had this article about a 25-year-old woman in Charlotte whose name is Caitlin Covington, who has 378,000 followers on Instagram, and and she monetizes her presence on Instagram. She, I. You know, I I guess I would call her a model. I'm not sure if she would call herself that, but basically she. Uh, uh, I'd say that's what she looks like from her uh, ads and uh, her article. Well, she she wears different outfits from retailers, and and because she's become so popular, she gets uh, whenever someone clicks on a link and purchases something, she gets a percentage of the sale. Oh wow! And uh, according to the article, she's making a high six figure income through her work there. Does that include the pennies? 
The pennies? I <laughs> the decimals? I, 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 don't, I, I don't think so. Got I think you there. All, I think that's Got all you there. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, she, one of her big clients is Nordstrom's. And uh, she says that some, blogger, some bloggers hire companies to manage her promotional partners in these arrangements, but she does it all herself. She has her father look over contracts. Uh, so anyway, I, I guess I, I always have people coming to me saying they want to make money on social media, but uh, Caitlin Covington seems to have cracked the code. It's yeah, amazing. And Instagram, I thought it had to do with Graham Cap cookies. Okay, you know, Michael, you're from a younger generation. <laughs> That's why we have Michael here. That's exactly so right. What's your experience with Instagram? Are you, uh, I'm thinking you're familiar with it. I am. I'm very familiar with it. Uh, Twitter and Instagram kind of go hand in hand, but I think that this is just a testament to what we've seen evolve out of native advertising. So um, consumers, whether it's in the craft industry or whether it's in anything, crave that experience. And so anytime they feel like something can be personalized, so they're following uh, an account that seems to be an individual that they can connect with, um, they don't really feel like they're being sold something. They're looking at an image and they see what they like and they don't. And they don't really feel pressured. If they want to buy it, they can. If not, you know. Yeah. So. Well, and also it's interesting if you read the article, you sort of recognize that there are some retailers or, or product manufacturers that uh, recognize that this is a good way to get their message out. And, and you know, Nordstrom's is mentioned in, in the article is, is one company that seems to be working with her to promote their product. So, you know, they're, so number one from a, you know, this one way to promote your products. Number two, some people can find ways to, to make a living through being a social media Celebrity blogger. I'm not sure what well, the right terminology really is. A good points out that you have to be always looking at what's out there and how you can get yourself promoted. She's promoting herself from a business standpoint, but she's obviously a, a tool for the other manufacturers or uh, retailers. A tool has some oh, con- <laughs> connotations, Gary. Come on. Come on. Well, yeah, I, mean, I think the fashion... Marketing tool. <laughs> well, fashion goes very well with Instagram, so I think you're going to have fashion bloggers, uh, reviewers, different folks who are within that industry. It's the easiest way because we've seen the development of technology and handheld cameras being given to everybody now, basically. So if you have an eye for fashion and an eye for photography, you can really cultivate an organic marketing campaign that, of course, like you mentioned, Nordstrom and bigger companies are going to look at as an opportunity. Um, and it's relatively low cost, low overhead, too. Well, yeah, it, and uh, if you want to check out Caitlin's Instagram account, or she's at CM Coving, uh, is where you would find her, C M C O V I N G. And, uh, yeah, uh, and I'm, I'm on Instagram, but I'm fairly new to it. But I will tell you that you know, who do you follow on Instagram? So I follow local breweries. This is true. You know, just because I thought they're pretty cool and they, they put interesting stuff out there. And this is my segue to Michael because the name of his business is Carolina Craft Legal. And tell me, tell us, Michael, a little bit about the sort of companies that you that you work with. So Carolina Craft Legal at its core, which I think is the easiest way to kind of go into it, is a business and administrative firm. Uh, and so that really um, gets at the heart of what we do. Anything from entity formation to regulatory compliance, contract drafting, uh, employment issues, trademarking, the whole gamut. And then the brewery or the alcoholic beverage landscape as a great overlay. Uh, so I spent the last three years in Charlotte. And I think we all know that Charlotte has some of the most deeply rooted and fastest growing uh, brewery and cidery and spirits progress in the region. 
Uh, so I was able to kind of cut my teeth there with a couple of my colleagues. And it just became apparent as, you know, law school started waning for me, uh, looking at what I wanted to do with uh, my career pathway, that there's a lot of um, legal issues that these folks, whether it be a brewery or a distributor or a retailer, they have to navigate uh, one of the most highly regulated industries in the, in the country. Uh, so that's where it kind of started. So those are, those are sort of the core target customers that you're looking at in North Carolina. seems to be a hotbed of microbreweries, distilleries, uh, that, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So anything from the supplier tier, which is the, the brewery, the cidery, uh, the distillery, uh, what have you, um, all the way to the distributors. So you're talking about a lot of, a lot of uh, breweries and suppliers still self-distribute. Um, but then you also have that middle tier of independent distributors, and so representing them as well. You talk about there's a lot of paperwork that goes into that, but then overhead, equipment purchasing, lots of assets to deal with. And then the retailer tier as well, because there's a whole gamut of permits that these retailers have to make sure that they have to be in compliance with not only federal, but North Carolina law as well. Uh, so any, in, we all frequent restaurants that have uh, spirits on tap or, or, or beer. They all of these places have retail permits. So you think about how pervasive the regulations are because everybody has to go that, through that same process. That's really interesting because I'm working with somebody that's looking at getting in that business, mm-hmm. a small world, and have experts staying or sitting right with us. Well, I bet before he leaves, he'll give us some contact information. Absolutely. Fantastic. <laughs> uh, and our viewers. Yeah. Well, not our viewers, our listeners. Those too. <laughs> so, so taking a step back from, from your core and thinking about you know, any any businesses that is getting up and running. You know what what sort of legal issues should a new startup business be thinking about uh, as they're as they're getting up and running? You're you're a new business yourself. As you were getting up and running from from a legal perspective, what what sort of issues do you have to tackle? I think the first thing to deal with is how many folks are involved in the business. Um, you know, a lot of folks will have a great idea. Say you want to start something with your friend, or maybe you meet a big business partner. Um, and the important thing is to understand that that joviality at the beginning of a great idea is not going to be permanent. Um, and so the biggest thing is recognizing, number one, what infrastructure can you put in place to make sure that that business is going to operate smoothly no matter what, how those relationships change, because let's admit humans are fickle creatures. You know, we, we can't tell how relationships are going to evolve over time or devolve for that matter. Um, and so making sure that there are mechanisms in place that make sure that if there is some disagreement that in writing, this is how decisions get made in this, in, in this manner or with this issue, you know, this is how decision gets made here. Also, um, what type of organization we're looking at? Do you want to issue shares of stock? Do you want to take on investors or you want to keep it closely held and really flexible? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's where the C Corp, S Corp versus the LLC kind of comes into play as well. And that becomes a, a matter of, of operating agreement, a matter of contract, and that's where the heavy lifting is. But, you know, it's a lot of upfront, thorough, um, uh, detail kind of canvassing, but it's, it's a really important concept to understand and, and to spend the time with because it's easier to deal with it up front, even though it might be somewhat stressful, than to have to come back and try to undo something or redo something or fix a problem that doesn't seem to have a very easy solution on the back we end. We talk about it all the time when we don't have the rose-colored glasses. Exactly. On. That's when the problems mm-hmm. happen. You mentioned a corp, uh, S-corp, and LLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the, what do you see the, the big differences between a corporation and an LLC? So it depends on uh, the perspective you're coming from. I think the main thing is that you're both both are going to offer 
company's a liability shield, uh, a shield from personal liability. And that's really important when you get into companies that are offering services or products that people handle on a daily basis. The advantage to incorporating as an LLC or a corporation is uh, to protect yourself personally and, and your members personally. Uh, if any problem should arise that would put your company at risk of liability, your personal assets are going to be safe. You know, your, your house, your car, your children's college funds, stuff like that are going to escape, you know, the purview of, of a lawsuit potentially. And it seems like fear mongering in a sense, but I mean, it's really important to understand yeah. that because that, that allows you uh, the flexibility to kind of take risks, which we know are inherent in business and business success. So uh, kind of knowing that you personally are going to be protected is a great thing. Uh, the distinction arises when you talk about taxes. Uh, so for small Small businesses specifically, which I kind of try to deal with the most, liquidity is really important. Having the ability to be nimble and spend money and reinvest, you know, for the LLC, taxes are not taken at the at the entity level. They're just going to be personal. So the same way you would file your personal taxes is the same way that you're going to have it within an LLC. So if you're not really taking income in your first, you know, six, eight, 12 months, uh, you're not going to have to worry about what are you writing off or, or what's different because you're not going to have that income. It's just going to be reinvested into the business. So it allows that flexibility too. And LLC stands for? A limited liability company. So I guess you get the, I guess the short and sweet would be you get the liability shield of a corporation with the flexibility of a partnership in terms of tax. And and just uh, for folks contemplating a startup, I guess there are more informal ways to structure their business and that they can, if it's one person, they could operate as a sole proprietorship or if sure. it's more than one person, they could operate as a partnership. But then... Uh, as Michael, as you were saying, uh, you do have liability issues out there. So I guess it's the, the type of business that one might be opening might dictate the way they want to look at that. Absolutely. And I think that the formalities actually get you to operate in a more sophisticated manner earlier on, which is never a bad thing. If, you, if there's only two of you and you're acting as a partnership, certainly things might be great. Uh, but, you know, filing your articles of organization with the state and then subsequently executing an operating agreement actually makes things very real. A lot of times we tend to just like let things kind of go. Mm -hmm. If something's working, you don't want to mess it up. Um, actually formally getting things in writing uh, and, and starting to look forward down the line can really kind of give you a test of, of how committed the parties are to what the business is. And that's kind of what I encourage folks to do. So now, now one one thing I've, I've heard or a question I'll throw at you is that if someone uh, starts an LLC, limited liability company, uh, that that does protect their personal assets, but there are certain things that they can do that would pierce the pierce the corporate veil. Absolutely. Is that the right yeah. terminology? Yes, sir. Okay, uh, and so so to make sure that if you start an LLC, that you maintain that protection of your personal assets? What are the things that you should be doing or what are the things that you better not do? So these, this is where you would want to bring in if you have some accounting experience or uh, tax experience. The, the whole idea is to make sure that the business is operating as its own individual and separate entity, that you're not mixing your personal finances and commingling that with company funds, that you're not uh, taking personal vacations out of, the, out of the corporate operating account or things of that nature because all that leads to evidence that it really isn't warranting a liability shield if and when there is an issue. Um, the more that you kind of commingle funds, the more that you do not keep track of your audits and things of that nature, uh, the less likely a court is going to find that you have the benefit of, of the, corporate or the corporate shield. So, so if you're forming an LLC 
first step, set up a separate bank account for the company? Absolutely. Or are those the sort of things that yes, one sir. should be doing? Getting a federal tax ID number, getting your corporate operating account set up. Um, a lot of banks are really, really helpful with just the, I, I'll say, non-sophisticated party going in and, and telling them, you know, we can actually set up two or three accounts that'll help you kind of get on your feet and and at least allow you the flexibility to start looking at, okay, do I need loans or what am I doing? How am I going to capitalize these uh, these accounts? Now, a few times you've said, uh, you know, get things in writing and, and, and define things. And, you know, if you're, if you're operating with a business partner or partners, is there some form of partnership agreement that is a requirement or, or is that your recommendation or is that sort of just a best practice out there? It's definitely a best practice. And, you know, it's not as if you have to file these with the state, at least at the LLC level and at the corporate level, you know, you execute bylaws at the LLC level, you execute an operating agreement. You're not filing with anybody. So technically it is not a requirement, but that just means that you're operating, uh, and if there's ever any dispute, they're gonna look at the at the act under North Carolina law and whatever is the general loadout for how things are typically taken care of. That's how it's gonna be adjudged, whether and just very objectively. So there there's no room in the law to take sides and play favorites and and that sort of thing. So um, you work with uh, you know, some of the companies that you're working with. You talk you know, microbreweries and distilleries, and you, know, you talked about. It sounds like sort of a legal maze or minefield that uh, those companies have to go through to get set up. I mean, so does that mean you have to become the expert with the regulation there? I mean, it, it sounds like it's probably a much more regulated industry than, you know, you know Joe's, uh, you know, pizza shop down the street. Yeah, it is. And, and no disrespect to Joe's Pizza Shop because I'm a huge pizza fan. <laughs> yeah, Joe's has great pizza, but too. I, I, the most common thing that I get hit with are, are family or friends saying like, hey, have you seen the new distillery opening up? You should go and talk to them. And, and the reality is uh, you're working with an attorney as an, as an entity that is going to be going into the spirits or, or the malt beverage or the wine business. Uh, you're working with an attorney way, 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 way at the beginning because a prerequisite to get your federal license is having a lease in place uh, blueprint of the premises. You have to make certain um, improvements depending on, on what the state of the building is uh, and, and have that all of that in writing and, and taken care of before you can even start the application process at the federal level. And you can't start the application process at the state level until you've completed it at the federal level. So you're talking eight to 10 to 12 months by the time you see somebody breaking ground, um, they have been through much, much planning. Well, what about the guy who says, hey, there's a nice space down here. Uh, we're, we're in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina. There's a nice space in downtown Hickory, and we, we just want to put some, some vats in there and start doing some homebrew. How long is that going to take me? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> just, just don't, don't include me on the, on the, on the homebrewing aspect if it's not technically homebrewing. Um, but it, it wouldn't, I mean. It, you sound like a lawyer now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it would, you know, it, it depends. And, and that's, again, I'm equivocating in, in, in the typical attorney way. Way, but uh, you're looking at, at months at a time and, and along with just the, the licensing issues and getting that entity formed again don't forget that at the core you're setting up a new business so you still have uh, the operating agreement to iron out you still have the insurance to to take out you you have a lot of these technical things that go on in addition to finding a space that you think is going to um, 
go well with the community that you want to serve or your individual aspirations for packaging and production and things of that nature. So you're negotiating these leases, you're looking at the zoning ordinances, you're communicating with the local authorities with respect to um, permits and and codes and inspections and things of that nature uh, so it's a really involved process and so part of going to an attorney is getting an effective timeline together so that you can manage expectations you can knock out things one at a time and you can more effectively communicate with the journalists who want to be the first to say hey new brewery opening up in such and such area to kind of level their expectations too and the expectations of the public yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I sort of assume, not good to assume, that, that there are certain communities that are more receptive to breweries than others. I mean, it, you know, it's, it, you know, it seems fairly commonplace in North Carolina. It seems to be big business in North Carolina. We've got listeners outside of North Carolina as well, but uh, it just seems like the craft beer business, and, and I guess I'm, I'm focusing more on beer because that's where uh, my flavors why, but uh, uh, it, it seems like craft beer and distilleries have become a very uh, hot and growing business these days. It certainly is. I think that we are the regional leader when it comes to growth, uh, and coincidentally, our laws are, I don't want to misspeak here, but in context, they are the most liberal in, in the region, and I think that speaks to what legislatures have looked at in terms of North Carolina's history with agriculture and and that organic production of, of materials and creating those microeconomies to support our communities around the state. That's what I find fascinating. I think that technology, we, we opened up with a segment on social media and really you can open a brewery or distillery in any remote location in North Carolina as long as you're savvy enough to be able to market to the people who you want to target, you're gonna be successful because people will travel for beer, certainly, uh, whether it's at a festival or a, a great tap room with a band. Um, it, the, the opportunity is there, and the opportunity is sort of evolving, too. You're starting to see, uh, I think, cideries, the, that next iteration of what craft is. Folks are starting to become more educated on what it is, and I think that, ultimately, new breweries opening up sort of start specializing early. They recognize you know, we no longer can only do just solid beer. We have to, number one, be able to tell our story. Then number two, we have to sort of, you know, dimension, we have to flex our muscles a little bit. You know, what, what are our competencies? Do we do traditional Belgian styles? Do you want to do sours? What do we want to do? Uh, and then how do we get the community to embrace that? And like you said, North Carolina, uh, region by region, has really opened itself up and been um, very welcoming, I think, of that sentiment. Well, yeah, and I think when you, when you when you speak speak to that, I think uh, regardless of the type of business, always trying to develop your your unique competency or your competitive advantage is what's going to set you apart and hopefully make you successful. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, and and uh, you know, just sort of an unsolicited uh, you know shout out to Hickory Hops, April sixteenth here in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina grand beer festival uh as you know i've seen you there before gary yes absolutely i think you drove uh, me home yeah that would be me yeah. <laughs> i have an allergic reaction to alcohol yeah. oh, but i did wow. make it through college without that, <laughs> so that was a good thing <laughs> well i'll i'll drink your share but thanks thanks anyway so 
Michael, now you're, you're, you've provided us some really good insights from a legal perspective of startups, but, but you're really still in startup mode yourself. That is sort of what I use to market right now. I think that a lot of folks can empathize with other folks who are opening businesses. And the, the sticking point for me was realizing, wow, I am going through the same struggles and the same frustrations that my ideal clients go through as well. So that gives me, on a personal level, a lot of insight into how to tailor my legal services to any given client. Uh, and that's what I pride myself on. But absolutely, you know, I, I speak to client acquisition, but that is the equivalent of, of getting a customer base. And that's everybody's struggle. And, you know, depending on what your service mm-hmm. is, having an attorney who can relate to uh, that or to any other problems for that matter on an, at an entrepreneurial level, I think um, ultimately makes the relationship grow and, and evolve into better things. And, and uh, it seems to me, and I don't, I don't know the details, but it seems like there's some limitations on the way lawyers and legal firms can promote themselves and advertise them, themselves. Another I, thing that my family and, family and friends have uh, kind of driven me to explain to them very vocally, um, I cannot reach out in real time, so we're talking about email, um, in-person solicitation over the phone, can't just pick up the phone and call your local brewery and say, hey, let me represent you. Uh, part of rules of professional conduct for attorneys, make sure that the public is not eh, you know, burdened with our persuasion. Um, and, and so in that way, a lot of what I do has to be inward marketing, you know, coming on podcasts and, and promoting the brand of law that, I, that I'm engaging in. Uh, writing blog posts that explain, um, not in too significant detail, but really give a baseline for what small businesses can take you know, here and there, bits and pieces of information for folks in and outside of the alcoholic beverage space. So it's somewhat frustrating, but it allows me to be creative. So I, uh, I take solace in that. Well, and, and what are some of the other challenges as a, as a startup business that, uh, that you've run into that, that you can share with listeners out there in terms of, of uh, what you've run into and how you've tried to deal with some of those uh, hurdles? Well, I think that, and this is going to be somewhat of a vague answer, but anytime you're getting into uh, a business where you have competitors that you can readily identify, you naturally want to gravitate to their competence and you want to kind of borrow resources and, and, and try to learn from them because they have had a successful model. I think that network building is one of the most important things you can do as an entrepreneur. And a lot of folks, their, you know, their linear progression in terms of trying to build a network is to get with people who are already inside their industry. My advice, because the best advice I've gotten, is to network outside of your immediate industry. Find folks who play roles that might overlap with yours and see if you can gain insight that way. Um, and it makes your conversations with folks within your industry a little bit less important, I would say, you know, there's less pressure. You can really cultivate friendships because the undercurrent of beer and the undercurrent of alcoholic beverage law generally is very competitive and as collaborative as it is, you know, nobody's going to give you the secret sauce. So it's being willing to deal with your frustration and get creative with the way that you interface and communicate with other professionals and other people who might be able to ultimately help you grow. Any, any certain networking things been more successful for you than others? I mean, I, yeah, when, when people come to me, there are some professional networking groups out there they can join, Chamber of Commerce, uh, obviously LinkedIn and certain social media sites are probably better for that than others. But any, any things you've found more fruitful than others? So the low-hanging fruit is just that. And I think that if you kind of put that in a category, you can expect what you put into anything. 
for me, going to the local bottle shop and just getting to know who's pouring the beer. Uh, you never know what other clientele they have that are going to come in and what kind of conversation you're going to strike up. But really becoming a patron of your local your local economy is really, for me, been the best way to kind of brand uh, going to local networking events. I know that in Greensboro, we have the JCs, we have Synergy. Uh, it's just becoming involved, meeting with people, you know, meeting with maybe a financial planner and seeing what uh, what he does and what kind of clients he works with or meeting with accountants and you know because that for attorneys is a natural referral service um, and again that, again that's outside of your network but for me again just doing things that are really almost a hyper local level getting to know the people that are really the putting the the rubber on the road you talked a little bit about or a lot about how you got into it do you ever look at yourself being with a big corporate law firm versus uh, I, an entrepreneurial <laughs> I have uh, every. I think in every attorney's mind's eye, they they think of themselves one day uh, partner status in a big firm. I have no idea what this practice is going to grow into. I focus on being the best version of myself as I can every day. But I would love to function as an in-house style service for my clients, and that means that they don't have to have me on their payroll. But in the in in the end, you know, as I grow it does become sort of that relationship with clients that it would be more of a traditional feel for an attorney work, but still independent. And, you know, who knows where it'll go? Law is evolving. So I think that there's, it's open to that. You had a great phrase. I want to be the best version of myself. Mm -hmm. I need to remember that one. That's good. That's good. Hi, I'm Alan. I'm Chris. And we're the co-host of Foot Candle Films, a movie review and film discussion show here on TheMesh.TV. Each episode, we talk about some new movies, cover some film news, and have some recommendations. And trust us, we're just as likely to talk about the latest Jim Jarmusch film as we are the newest Transformers installment. Hold on, don't get too crazy. Uh, well, okay, maybe not that bad. But you can find our show and all our episodes on TheMesh.TV. Plus, you can subscribe to get new episodes delivered right to your computer or mobile device. We'll see you in the ticket line. You and I probably, you know, we, 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 L.A. Law, I'm sure Michael was up on that one as well. You know, we probably, you know, saw that show and, and said, hey, you know, we want to be a partner. That could be us. You know, That's Susan exactly Day right. and, you know, that group, right? Yeah, I remember that group. Okay. He wasn't born. Okay. I remember that group. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Michael, we very much appreciate you uh, uh, joining us today on the Entrepreneur Exchange. And, and if people do want to find uh, you or, or Carolina Craft Legal, where can they find you? A uh, variety of places, I think, you know, first and foremost, the website, carolinacraftlegal.com. Uh, that's going to be where the blog is housed, and there's plenty of free and productive information on there. I try to write weekly. This week, I'm taking a break and going to do the podcast, okay. so that'll be the content there. But, um, you know, there's that's where all the services are. That's where you get an overview of the firm, uh, a look at how we try to be as innovative as possible. We also have Facebook, so you can go like the page on Facebook. I post all the blog content there as well, Carolina Craft Legal. Uh, on social media for Twitter, it's at Craft Legal CLT. And then my personal is I underscore E underscore Mike B. Um, and I think that's right. That's about it. I mean, LinkedIn, same thing. Michael Boyer on LinkedIn and then Carolina Craft Legal. All right. A lot, a lot of options. There. If you're looking, you can find it. All right. All good deal. Well, each each uh, month, we like to touch on a few small businesses that uh, have caught our eye. Um, so, uh, you know, let's let's share some of our small business of the month. Michael, do you have a small business that you want to give a shout out? I to? do. So, I mentioned that I try to 
frequent local businesses and be a patron there. Mine, uh, personal favorite of mine right now is Beer Co. It's on West McGee Street in downtown Greensboro. A gentleman named Josh Co. Uh, owns it. And it's a local bottle shop, craft beer specialty. specialty. And uh, what I've noticed with him is he has built a really good customer base there, but he also networks with other craft-inspired entrepreneurs in the community. Um, he's done events with Crafted, The Art of Street Food, or The Art of the Taco, whichever restaurant you prefer to go to, but they do special beer pairings with certain dishes and stuff like that. So I really like uh, the creative aspect of what that shop is. You know, it's very informal. You have a lot of people within the, the downtown area there, whether they're attorneys or bankers, or if they work at the tattoo parlor next door, uh, come in and kind of interface. So uh, to me, that is the, the hallmark of the industry. So that would be my small business spotlight is Beer Co. Beer Co.? Yes, sir. Beer All Co. right. Beer Sounds Co. Great. in Greensboro. So check them out uh, if you're in town. All right, Gary, what do you have this month? Well, my small business of the month is Spritz, which I saw on my favorite Friday night TV show, which is? Shark Tank? You got it. All right. And it's too bad we're not on TV because I actually have props this time. Oh, well. <laughs> I thought that was an EpiPen. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be. Uh, the Spritz Me Spray is an all-natural breath and hand freshener. And for our listeners, I have a breath spray and hand spray, which I used this morning, both of them. And so that's what got me excited about that. It's the first spray, uh, Spritz Me, it, which you can spray in your mouth and on your hand. Won't kill you. It, well, I tried it with a hand spray today. It didn't taste too good. Okay. So I understand. I like this product. It made what about direct injection into the chest? Is that I, I don't know <laughs> if you could do that. It could be a, a pin in the back of it. Uh, but it eliminates bad breath and gives you a cinnamon or a peppermint uh, fresh breath, which is really cool. Then you can take the same spray and put it on your hands and rub it around. And your hands, like, and they did it on... Shark Tank, and they all thought it was good, uh, and it worked. Uh, their mouth was good. I'm not sure how many tried the mouth, <laughs> but they did try the hands, and it cleared up garlic and different uh, odors, so it was really cool. Uh, and it's uh, great at covering up, they say, odors from cigarettes to cigars to alcohol, strong foods, uh, and bad breath and lingering odors. Uh, and uh, they've been doing this since 2012, and they're looking for uh, investors. Uh, the sharks didn't bite on the product, but they all thought it worked, and it was something that um, didn't have the big, big potential, but usable for uh, many folks. And so that's why I liked it, because it's the two-for-one special. You know me, I'm an accountant, so I was trying to get the best value. So, you know, conceivably, Beer Co. or a brewery could have a display of these things uh, at the door when someone's leaving. That's exactly and say, what I was There thinking, we go. Yeah. We combine the products. That's right. how things right. uh, work yeah, and Not that we, make a million. We don't condone such activities, but... Uh, <laughs> what, the spritz? <laughs> after drinking, yes. <laughs> Driving after drinking. Gotcha. We don't condone that. So, anyway. Uh, well, my small business of the month is uh, an organization called the Empowerment Plan, which manufactures a coat for homeless people, which transforms into a sleeping bag. And I first heard about them listening to a podcast called E-Town, which is, which is musical uh, in, in general, but they talk about some uh, organizations that are making an impact in communities. And, and I also saw an article about them on CNN.com. But the Empowerment Plan is a Detroit-based nonprofit organization dedicated to serving the homeless community. Their goal is to build a better life for those who have become trapped in the cycle of homelessness. They hire mostly 
homeless parents from local shelters to become full-time seamstresses, I think I said that right, so that they can earn a stable income, find secure housing, and gain back their independence. The company manufactures a coat, as I said, that transforms into a sleeping bag at night, and during the day it sort of can be a coat or fold into sort of a little backpack sort of thing. The coats are distributed to homeless people living on the streets at no cost. Uh, they, they pay for it through partnerships they've got. It was the brainchild of Veronica Scott, who is an art student, and in 2010 was given an assignment which challenged people in her class to design a project to fill a need in Detroit. And she wanted to come up with something to help the homeless. And over time, it's uh, evolved from not only a product, but also to be a job producer. And you can find out more information about the Empowerment Plan by going to www.empowermentplan.org and read about them and support them if you'd like. So, so it was a pretty cool, yeah, that's cool really idea neat. and really uh, something something that's helped me out there. So anyway, so anyway, that's that uh, is the end of our podcast for the month. Again, we want to thank uh, Michael Boyer for joining us. Oh, absolutely, thank you. Thanks for coming. That's great. Uh, I'm very humble to be here, so I appreciate you having me. No. Uh, you, and and uh, he gave you several ways to find him, but uh, www.carolinacraftlegal.com is his website. So yes, you can, sir. You can, you can email me directly at michael at carolinacraftlegal.com. Very easy. Uh, easy. He's easy to find. We also want to thank uh, our friends at The Mesh. And if you've got a suggestion for a small business of the month, uh, you can email them to uh, eexchange at themesh.tv. And uh, we We'd love to use one of your ideas for our, our small business of the month. And we have a great gift pack for the best idea of the month. That's right. It's gotten bigger since the last time we've given it out. That's exactly right. So, so anyway, thanks to The Mesh. Download us at the mesh.tv. Subscribe to iTunes. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening. And we'll see you guys next month. Take care. Have a great spring. been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.